But to me, max, max in my life would be ease. Um, reconciling what I need to do to pay the bills with my passion and my purpose. My purpose is to help save life in the ocean and on the planet. My passion is exploring nature and producing films and conducting research and inspiring other people to, to do the right thing. And I am lucky that I have been able to combine the two of my passion and my purpose into my job. Because as, as you said, you know, I was able to create, um, to create my job when I came to National Geographic and proposed to do this pristine seas project. So that's, that's it to me, to be able to, to merge these three things and make sure that you have just one integrated, well-balanced life. Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm joined by Dr. Enric Sella, a National Geographic explorer and founder of Pristine Seas, a project that combines exploration, research, and media to inspire leaders around the world to protect the oceans. Enric helped create over 20 of the largest marine reserves on the planet, covering an area half the size of Canada. So Enric, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Max. I'm super excited to have you. And so before we you know, start talking about the importance of our ecosystem and the economic and health benefits we get from preserving them, I want to quickly dive into your story because it seems like from a very early age, you've developed this lifelong love affair with the oceans. So can you share with us a little bit about you know, why you started in this field and what continues to fascinate you about the water? I was a little boy growing up in Catalonia, in Spain, in the 70s, the early 70s, watching the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau. And that was it. You know, I was hooked mm. uh, to ocean exploration since I was a little kid, since I can remember. That's all I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to do a diver in, in Cousteau's boat. Wow. And I was born a little late to that, for that, but uh, you know, I studied marine biology. I became a, a scientist, a professor, and what drives me now, I still have this childhood dream on the back of my mind because I was born too late to be a diver on, on the Calypso, but I'm doing it myself now with my own team. Yeah, you, you, you created this yourself, right? Which is absolutely amazing. And so you, you yeah. talked before about sort of writing the, the obituary of the oceans, right? While you're you yes. know, your college professor, you, you saw the ocean just constantly degrading. So... For our listeners, can you give us some perspective of you know, how fast the oceans have been polluted and destroyed over the last couple of decades? Yeah, I'll try to be short because it's pretty depressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we have lost, we have killed 90% of the large fish in the ocean in the last 100 years alone. These are the <sighs> sharks, groupers, tuna, cod, the, the big fish. We have been taking fish out of the water faster than they can reproduce. So about 80% of the fish stocks around the world are being overfished, you know, fished uh, faster than they can replenish themselves. If we continue this way, studies suggest that by 2050, most commercial fisheries around the world will have collapsed. Wow. So the situation of extraction of marine life is pretty bad. Then we have global warming which is making the ocean warmer and more acidic, killing corals and other 
animals all around the world and melting the ice caps with also disastrous consequences for the, for the weather. And finally, we have the pollution. Some pollution we cannot see, like all the mercury that our coal power plants burn, which, end up, which ends up in the ocean, accumulated in marine life that people will, will end up eating, but also the plastics, which is such a huge problem now. And you, know, you, you all have seen all these photos of beautiful ocean places full of ocean trash and even on our own expeditions with National Geographic pristine seas or even in the wildest places even in the most remote places in the ocean we have collected water samples and we have found microplastics in them wow so these are the three big things we're taking fish out of the out of the water faster than they can reproduce we are making the ocean warmer and more acidic and we are polluting the ocean we're throwing into the ocean everything that we don't want yeah, such a terrible destruction. So, so one thing that is abundantly clear from your work is that like everything on this planet is connected and interdependent, right? So if, even if people live far away from the oceans and they don't care about fish, at the end of the day, it's still going to affect them, right? So can you talk to us a little bit about the, the importance of the oceans, not just for you know, that beauty and everything, but also the, the economic and health benefits that we get from them? Yeah, everything, as you said, Max, is, is interconnected. And this is why I decided to write uh, my new book which has just been published on you know, the nature of nature to make sure that everybody understands how we are all connected to all other creatures on the planet not just among among ourselves humans and i think that the covid pandemic i like to use it as, as an example of how everything is connected because you know before people at least in the united states said oh well you know climate change is something that will happen to somebody in the future no yeah oh destruction of nature you know, I live in a city. I don't see any problem. I have food in the supermarket, so it doesn't not it's not affecting me. But this pandemic is affecting everybody. You know, everybody has been on lockdown one way or another. So many millions of people have lost their jobs. Hundreds of thousands of people have died. And why? Because one virus spilled over from a wild animal to a person in China, creating a local outbreak. And because of our globalized lifestyle it spread like wildfire across the world creating this pandemic so it, it was wildlife trade in one country that created a pandemic that has stopped the global economy today is covid but yesterday was sars ebola hiv zika marker and other infectious diseases so this is one very strong proof that everything is is connected in, even in the ocean, because you know this, you have coal power plants in the United States or China, or in some places in Europe, putting mercury in the atmosphere, which ends up in the ocean, which ends up being absorbed by little organisms, which are going to be eaten by larger organisms and f a small fish, and then tuna, for example. And the larger the fish, the more pollutants the more toxins they accumulate in their bodies so you can be in switzerland or you can be in ohio eating a, a fillet of tuna including the mercury in it wow. that was caused by the coal power plants that also are a big contributor contributor to to climate change so so there you go this is just two examples of how everything is connected
Yeah, and another thing that, that you talked about in your book, and I found that personally fascinating because I used to live in, in Florida and Fort Myers where we had all these hurricanes, right? It's like when you talk about the mangroves and how they are actually able to protect us from many of these you know, things coming out of the ocean and, and oftentimes killing people and destroying houses and economies, right? Yeah, the mangroves are this wonderful ecosystem that everybody should go to a mangrove forest one day because, you know, it's, it's a, the only tree that grows on, on seawater, right? You have this, this uh, forest lining the border between the land and the sea. And, yeah, they provide this structure. They, they are able to diminish the, power, the destructive power of waves. And we have seen everywhere where there's been a, a, a hurricane or even the tsunami in Southeast Asia, the places that had intact mangrove forests have dealt better because the forests were able to absorb much of the destructive power of the, of the waves, while in areas where the mangroves have been cut for coastal development or for building stream farms, that was a total destruction. So this is another example of an ecosystem that might not seem too much to most people and might see in, might be seen like an annoyance to coastal developers. It has a, an enormous uh, insurance value that we have taken for granted. Yeah, for sure. And so well, to piggyback off on, of, of what you said before, I think there is this natural human tendency to downplay um, things that, or, you know, eventual risks that are, are far removed from us, right? So like when people, you know, people don't see yet um, or don't feel the consequences yet, like you said, right? When you're eating that, that tuna here, you don't actually feel the consequences yet of all of this, these ecosystems collapsing, but we know that that is going to happen further down the line, right? So if you think, you know, with this whole COVID pandemic and the, the consequences of of destroying nature and all of that becoming more real, more vivid in people's minds. Do you think there's going to be like some change in, in people's hearts and minds? Well, if it doesn't happen now, when is it going to happen? Because yes. you know, I live in Washington DC and today the sky is hazy because of the fires on the other side of the country. Wow. Right. We have, you've seen these apocalyptic wildfires, uh, which are caused by, by climate change and by human activities. But also we have you know, two hurricanes forming at the same time in the Caribbean. And we have, you know, I just saw this, this news story about thousands of birds basically falling from the sky in the United States. Wow. Imagine it. You know, because probably uh, climate change, a combination of climate change that has reduced their, their uh, food, their, the insect populations, plus all the pesticides and all the horrible agricultural practices that also destroy the habitat and kill the insect populations, plus the fires that probably made all these populations of birds that are migrating from Canada into Central America uh, have to choose different routes because the atmosphere on the West Coast is, is so horrible right now. So there you go. All these poor birds, uh, th tens of thousands of them are, are basically falling from the sky and people are finding them in huge quantities. It is definitely apocalyptic. So, you know, it, if we don't realize now that our broken relationship with nature is biting back at us, no, when? So I really hope that this pandemic is, uh, and what's happening now with the wildfires and, and global warming is going to be the wake-up call 
that the world needs so we can build back better instead of just continue digging ourselves deeper and deeper. Yes, for sure. Such an important point. I think one thing that's also going to help in that is like you've actually done research that shows that you know, investing, in, uh, investing in, in these ecosystems and saving them actually creates a return on investment, right? So can you talk to us a little bit also about the financial impacts that you know, we can positively gain and when we actually save the ecosystems? Yes. Um, you know, people, many people, including some leaders, ask the question, you know, we cannot afford to invest in nature because we don't have the resources. Well, in another world, we'll have to spend th trillions of dollars to address the cost of this pandemic, right? Um, yeah. How much would it cost to prevent or reduce the risk of the next pandemic? Well, we released an economic report this year that estimated that to protect 30% of the planet by 2030, which is the minimum that science is, is telling us we should do, would cost about $140 billion per year. $140 billion might seem like a lot, but think about this. It is less than what the world spends today on video games. <laughs> right? So Put things and, into perspective. <laughs> exactly. So, and also, nature, for every dollar that we invest in protected areas, for example, nature would give us $5 in return through tourism or better fisheries around marine protected areas or other benefits like the, the value of the coastal protection afforded by the mangroves, for example. And these mangroves also are a great place, a nursery for fish that then are going to be caught by commercial fishermen, etc. So the economic returns of protected nature, of intact nature are much greater than what we get if we destroy it because you know if we think of, of a forest if you cut the forest and you sell the timber that's it that's all yeah. the value that's all the value you get for uh, f from this forest but if you don't cut it that forest is producing oxygen is producing rain which helps to water crops nearby it is the habitat for many species of uh, birds and insects that then will go and pollinate our crops it also absorbs much of um, the rainwater and affords some protection from floods it also helps to create soil which in turn absorbs much of our carbon pollution from the atmosphere etc 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 so you have an intact ecosystem that provides all these benefits that we can enjoy you you destroy it and all these benefits are are gone the problem is that we don't account for all these benefits and the cost of, of destroying the, the ecosystems on our, on our balance sheets, right? Uh, but if we do that, if we internalize the cost of our activities, then there will be a much more powerful incentive to protect nature, which is you know, our life support system. So what would be wrong with that? Yeah, it definitely seems like humanity has been playing this really short-sighted game, right? Of making quick profits, of of destroying the environment to make more money, but but over the long run, as you're saying, really the the wisest thing, even financially, would actually be to to save the environment and protect it, right? And so you've done some you talked about really interestingly about how when you create these these nature preserves, right? Actually biodiversity returns really quickly, right? So in these spots where it's essentially empty now, right? All the fish are gone and then 
you you let it go for a while, biodiversity comes back really quickly, doesn't it? It comes back spectacularly. We have seen it. I have seen it in so many places around the world, places that were degraded. And we protect it from fishing and other damaging activities, and the fish come back spectacularly. You can see a big difference in as little as three years. And on average, the abundance of fish in these protected areas is 600% larger than outside. Wow. 600% return on investment, imagine. That's spectacular. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. So, so I'm super curious, like, what, like, is there a certain time when it's going to be too late? Like, is there a certain, you know, like year or, or date, whatever, at which point it, these, these changes become irreversible? It's already too late for some things, but the good news is that it's not too late for others. For example, because of the warming of the atmosphere and the ocean, the Arctic Ocean is going to be free of sea ice during the summer months before 2040. Wow. Even if we went completely carbon neutral today, there is such inertia that the planet, it would take a while for the planet to cool down again. So that would not prevent the Arctic sea ice to, to melt. And the Arctic sea ice is a reflector, right? It reflects mm -hmm. sun, sun rays. Um, but if you remove that white cover, what you have is dark seawater, which absorbs those, uh, the, the heat from the sunlight, which in turn makes the ocean warmer, which in turn uh, melts more ice and so on and so forth. So that's something that's going to happen no matter what. The, if we go carbon neutral, you know, we will see the return of the summer sea ice uh, in this century, right? If we don't, it's gone forever. Uh, but as there are species of marine animals like the, the monk seal of the Caribbean. Now, the Caribbean used to have a seal living in there, a tropical wow, yeah. seal. But the last individual was seen in 1952. You know, we kill them to death. So it's impossible for the Caribbean monsoon to come back. But most other species are still there. And we have seen the recovery of species from small to large in these marine reserves, uh, including uh, the, the big animals. There is a place in Baja California in Mexico that I loved called Cabo Pulmo. In the mid-90s, the fishermen, local fishermen were so upset with not having enough fish to catch that they asked the Mexican government to create uh, no take marine park, a uh, national park. They did it. And we came back 10 years after protection. And oh my God, it was <sighs> extraordinary. The big fish, they were there, all of them, the big groupers, the big snappers, uh, manta rays, and including the return of the sharks. You know, before in 10 years, I had seen maybe a dozen of sharks in 10 years of diving in the Sea of Cortez in, in Mexico. 12 sharks, well, you can see 12 sharks in a single dive today in, wow. in that place in Cabo Pomo. So the ocean has this extraordinary ability to bounce back. We just need to give it some space. Yeah, for sure. So interesting. So I'm super curious. What has been your, your favorite expedition so far? I know you've done a lot around the world. <laughs> well, mm -hmm. this is like asking a parent which one of your kids you want. <laughs> yeah, there's been some fantastic places, but you know, there, there is a special, very special one. It was the first one that we did with pristine seas in 2009 to yeah. a place called Millennium Atoll. It's a, an inhabited coral atoll in the South Pacific that belongs to the Republic of Kiribati. 
and nobody lives there. Nobody ever goes there. So we did an expedition. We arrive, we jump in the water. And as soon as my bubbles cleared, I was surrounded by gray reef sharks. Wow. Oh my God. That was, that was the sign. I knew that this place was pristine as soon, as soon as I jumped in the water, right? That's what you expect. You know, if you go to Africa, you expect to see lions and, and leopards and cheetah, right? Well, if you go to the ocean, nobody expects to see sharks uh, because we think that sharks are not part of, of the, our, our local ecosystem, but sharks should be everywhere, you know, every, almost every ecosystem uh, in, in the ocean. So seeing those sharks was a good sign. Then after a while, the sharks got bored with us and they went to do their thing. Mm. And then we were able to explore the rest of the ecosystem. 80% of the bottom was covered by, by live coral. The, the lagoon in that atoll was covered with giant clams of uh, iridescent blues and green. And the lagoon also was a nursery for black tip reef sharks. So we had these, these baby sharks about a, a meter long, just bumping on our, on our legs as we were <laughs> wading over the shallows in the lagoon. It was one of the most uh, wonderful expeditions uh, we've done in our life. Wow, I bet. And I know you've done you know, filming projects all over the world. So how can people you know, imagine that? Like, is it just you and you know, your team out on the sea for weeks? Or how do you guys usually do that? Yeah, so we work in places with people, but also we go to places without people. And these remote areas are uninhabited because they are so remote and they don't have fresh water and they are difficult to get to. And that also is a reason why they are not fished and they are still near pristine. So we charter a boat from the nearest port and we go on expedition sometimes for up to six weeks. You know, wow. we spend six weeks camping on top of Baffin Island on the Canadian Arctic with, with Inuit guides, with local experts. And we were able to see belugas, the narval, you know, the unicorn of the sea, bowhead whales, very fat polar bears eating lots of seals as the ice, the sea ice was, was breaking seasonally. You know, we have been in places in the middle of the, of the Pacific, like Millennium Atoll and four other islands that are the Southern Line Islands. And five of them are inhabited, barely known. And we would go from island to island, not knowing what we were going to find. So we have our, our team of scientists and, and filmmakers on, on the, and our life is to dive, 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 you know, survey, 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 film, 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 and then sleep, go back to it for, for you know, five weeks with, you know, one day of rest. Uh, every week because we do so much diving that we need to make sure that we don't accumulate enough, uh, too much nitrogen on our oh, yeah. bodies. But yeah, it, it was, you know, wh what we do now is what I wanted to do when I was that little kid. Yeah. It, it was like the Calypso adventure, the Cousteau's exploration around the world. Only that now we have a different purpose because Cousteau wanted us to fall in love with the ocean. And now we want to save it. Wow, absolutely amazing. And, and it really sounds like you're living that childhood dream. So that's incredible. And I know much of your work is really about inspiring world leaders and you know, governments to, to change and create more marine reserves. But for our listeners, you know, they're, they're hearing about all of this. 
what can you know we on an individual level do to to really help this whole project well there are two things people can do one is something that people can do to this year in the united states and and soon in other countries which is vote yes please <laughs> to vote you know now we've reached a point where we have two types of uh, leaders leaders who understand that uh, what the science is telling us and leaders who only care about the short-term uh, profit, right? Uh, at the, any cost. These are the people who are like, they are in the Titanic, in the casino, trying to make as much money as possible after hitting the iceberg. <laughs> right? So the environment is on the ballot, really. Uh, so we need to, people need to vote this year in the United States for the leader who share their environmental values, period. And then something that everybody can do every day, which would be good for the planet and good for themselves is eat more plants and less meat. In the United States, people are eating too much meat. The human body cannot process so much protein anyway, and much of it is, is flushed out. We can get all the proteins and the nutrients we need from plants. So if we reduce our animal consumption and had a plant-based diet, we would get all, all the nutrients that, that we need. But also, it w we would require much less land to produce the food that we need because livestock takes a huge amount of land and a huge amount of water. For example, in the United States, 41% of the land is dedicated to raise livestock. Wow. 41%. It's huge. So we wouldn't need so much land if we ate mostly plants. So some of the land could be given back to nature. So nature could restore itself in these protected areas and produce many more benefits to us than just meat. And finally, livestock is one of the biggest producers of global warming because they burp a lot of methane. Yeah. Huge amounts of methane. <laughs> so r reducing the production of livestock around the world would also help to reduce the amount of uh, CO2, uh, carbon emissions that we expel into the atmosphere. So there you go. That's, uh, that's my, my recommendation for everybody. And that would also help the ocean because there would be less uh, global warming and, and less in negative impacts for, for ocean life. Yeah, absolutely love that. So, so really personal question here is because my sister just graduated high school and like many people, I think in this, this greater Thunberg world, she's incredibly passionate about, you know, saving our ecosystems. So what do you see as, as the best opportunities for, especially young people that maybe just graduated high school, going into college, what do you see as sort of the best opportunities for young people to get involved here and support this cause, whether, you know, as a profession or in their free time? Well, there are many things that people can do, right, at all levels. <coughs> people can write to their political leaders, but also they can activate their community. And something that young people do very well is uh, organizing their communities, at least before, before the pandemic, uh, using social networks. But people need to get... Um, off Facebook and get on other people's faces. Uh, 
yeah. uh, people need need to to get together. And you know, maybe if you li- if you live in a city, young people should get together and demand a plan or propose a plan to their mayor to green their city. You know, it's been shown around the world that cities with more trees are less hot, and people are healthier, and and also their mental well-being is better in cities with more green than in cities where it's just concrete. And for pollution control also, uh, trees are, are, are wonderful. So young people, if you live in a city, just get together and get educated about the benefits provided by the trees and other plants in cities and propose to your mayor a plan or demand a plan for, for, greening, for greening your city. That's one thing that every young person and living in an urban environment could do, for example. Love that. So, Emilia, if you're listening to this, go for it. <laughs> now, one thing we love to do on the show is, is celebrate failures as a stepping stone to more learning, to personal mm-hmm. growth. So, throughout your career, do you have a favorite failure? Oh, my God. Um, I've had so many failures. That's the... Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, at the start of my career, I don't... Well, today failures are the areas that we haven't been able to protect, right? Yeah. And a failure is that even though with our Prestinsis project, we have helped to protect 22 places around the world covering this huge area. The failure, it's that it's only 6 million square kilometers and not more. You know, today, less than 3% of the ocean is fully protected from damaging activities. And the science is telling us we need 30% of the ocean at least, right? So... It's been our failure, our collective failure, not to be able to, to get more places protected. But when I was a, a younger person so long ago, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think that I, I, I don't want to think of failure. I want to think of, um, no, there, are so ma- there are so many directions you can take on your life, right? And it is the poem of the, the path not taken. If you take one path, uh, you automatically say no to other paths. If you decide to be a professional musician, you automatically say no to be um, an academic scientist, right? If you decide to be uh, the mayor of your city, which is going to green your city, then you immediately say no to the professional musician life. So there are many things that in retrospect would have done differently. Well, I don't know. You know, I, I maybe I would have been a little bolder and I would have knocked at uh, Jacusto's door directly <laughs> uh, now with, with hindsight. But I am actually very happy with uh, the life that I have lived so far and, and the path I have taken. If I could do some things differently, maybe I would have started to dive earlier because when I, when I was growing up in... In Spain, you could dive only with scuba tanks only um, at age 18. That was, uh, I started diving 32 years ago, right? Wow, yeah. Uh, So I waited very patiently, very legally, until (laughs) I was uh, legally authorized. But if it were today, I would have started much, much earlier, and I would have found a way to do it 
uh, you know, um, even if I had to go to another country <laughs> to, <laughs> to do it. So that, that's Just finding that a way I, around. I learned it differently. Yeah. Love that. Now, before I ask my final question, where can listeners connect with you and your projects online? Yeah, they can go to my website, uh, enricsala.com. Enricsala.com, uh, that's one. And the other one is to look at our Pristine Seas project uh, on our website, and uh, National Geographic. Uh, the, it's very easy. It's pristinesis.org. pristinesis.org. There is a, they can learn everything about, about our project. And also, I hope that uh, people, especially young people, will buy my book, uh, The Nature of Nature, which is available uh, everywhere. Books are sold and online too. So they, you know, I wanted to tell through stories, through fun stories of my own discovery journey, my own research, but also stories of other scientists, how we have figured out how 9 million species of plants and animals and 1 trillion types of microbes interact and self-assemble in these wonderful ecosystems that we call forests, wetlands, coral reefs, etc., you know, to, to provide all these things that are essential to our survival and why we need to protect this miracle of, of the world, of, of life on Earth you know, for, for, our, for our sake and you know, for the sake of all other creatures and why also it makes economic sense. So I hope that uh, that will help uh, with uh, the informal education of the future leaders of tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely love that. Now to wrap it up, what does it mean for you to max out your life? To me, it's a combination of, well, some people you hear, oh, I, I need to find a better balance between life and work, right? But I don't think there is a, a difference. We can, no, there is life, period. Yeah, and you know, of course, you unless you are lucky to be financially independent, you have to work for a living. But to me, max max in my life would be is um, reconciling what I need to do to pay the bills with my passion and my purpose. My purpose is to help save life in the ocean and on the planet. My passion is exploring nature and producing films and conducting research and inspiring other people to, to do the right thing. And I am lucky that I have been able to combine the two of my passion and my purpose into my job. Because as, as you said, you know, I was able to create, um, to create my job when I came to National Geographic and proposed to do this pristine seas project. So that's, that's it to me, to be able to, to merge these three things and make sure that you have just one integrated, well-balanced life. Absolutely love that. Enric, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Max. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to, you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this, you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, 
at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, friend, a loved one maybe that you think could benefit from this content, please consider, you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.